and welcome to Season 2 of Power Talk. Power Talks are short, powerful interviews from leading youth violence experts, spreading new ideas and sharing best practice. For more information on the work our charity Power the Fight does and to find out how you can help empower communities to end youth violence, please visit www.powerthefight.org.uk. On today's episode, we are joined by Ika Stevenson, co-founder of Just For Kids Law, discussing the topic of young people and the criminal justice system. Ika, it's great to have you on Power Talk. Um, your organisation, Just For Kids Law, is something I've been following for a while. I'm fascinated by just some of the things that you do and the families and young people you engage with. Do you want to just explain who you are, what you do, about Just For Kids Law, how you got into this okay. field? Um, so I am a founder of Just For Kids Law and I um, am also the legal director. So I'm responsible for the legal arm of the organisation, so I supervise all the solicitors. Um, and aside from that, I'm um, a criminal lawyer. Um, as well. So I represent children in criminal proceedings. Wow. Um, uh, why, <clears throat> why I got into this? <laughs> um, so the short story <laughs> is um, when I was 10, my dad went to prison. Um, and I think that was my fir- the first uh, time that I really got a sense of injustice. Um, And I decided then, from a very basic perspective, (laughs) that I wanted to be a lawyer, Um, probably because I thought that I'd be able to get my dad out of prison. Um, uh, But that kind of started the process for me. Um, And I sort of pursued everything that I needed to do in order to um, pursue a career in law. Um, For quite a while, I thought, well, I'm going to do family law or because I wanted to help children, and I thought that was the way that you did it. Um, And then I had sort of highfalutin ideas about doing international child abduction and all kinds of things like that. But um, uh, what actually happened was, um, so I was working in a corporate law firm. Um, I was bored out of my mind, and um, that was just as a paralegal. And a job uh, came up at the Children's Society and uh, that was to be a child um, advocate. So um, it was, I wasn't fully qualified, um, but it was, uh, the role was to give young people a voice who'd been remanded in custody at Felton Young Offenders Institute. Uh, And I was based there um, at least three days a week, dealing with young people who were coming into custody. Um, And I think it was was kind of a bit of a life-changing experience because um, I saw young people who were 15, uh, 16, 17 come into custody and they had, uh, you know, they were really vulnerable. Um, On the first day in custody, they'd often ask to speak to someone from the Children's Society and they would be crying, they'd just want to do basic things like speak to their mum. Um, they'd be wondering how they were going to cope. And then within three days, you would see those same young people walking down the corridors and they'd just be like, you're right, miss. And the transition um, was startling uh, for me because they would be... Um, they were wearing a mask. Mm. Um, and the process, in a very short time of being in custody, had, um, had changed them. And for me, that was a massive problem because I thought if you, by sending children to custody, um, 
you are hardening them, then we've got a big problem as to how we deal with them when they're released. Wow. Um, so I, when, uh, once I'd, so I spent six months working in Felton. It was quite an oppressive period. Right. So when that... Um, what year was this? You... Oh, God. Uh, maybe the year 2000, okay. 2001. Um, and then um, uh, the service was changing. The Children's Society weren't going to be... Um, carrying out the contract there and it was going to be made a statutory service. So at that point I decided to leave and was sort of working out, okay, how should I, how am I going to do this? How am I going to work in a specialist way with young people? Um, And I wasn't sure that I'd be able to do that as a lawyer. So um, my first job was at Westminster Youth Offending Team. Um, And my role was a, a court officer as well as supervising young people on programmes. So that allowed me to be in court um, and assist young people who are at risk of being remanded. I told you this was a short no, story. It's, sorry, it's not very it's short. It's all right. it's, <laughs> it, um, so I was there to sort of provide bail package and support for young people who are at risk of being remanded and then to supervise them on that programme. Yeah. So that kind of allowed me to combine the two things I really liked, which was the legal aspect as well as direct hands-on yeah. Uh, practical support um, and then I was doing that for about three years and um, I think my family were like are you ever going to qualify as a lawyer <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and so I actually met Shawneen Lamb who uh, was co-founded Just for Kids Law with me she was practicing um, at West London Youth Court and she had heard that I actually was had done all of my legal um, sort of training. I just needed to have a training contract yeah. as a trainee solicitor. Um, and she said, look, I'm trying to set up a youth specialist um, legal team at um, a firm called Lawrence & Co. Um, in West London. And she said, you know, if you want to train, if you want to qualify, then come and train with me, essentially. Yeah. So um, uh, that was it, really. So within... Um, whilst I was still a trainee solicitor with her, um, we sort of, all of our experiences combined and we decided we wanted to set up Just for Kids Law. Wow, and that's an incredible story. Uh, tell us what Just for Kids Law, what, what I mean, it sounds like it's what's on the tin, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very specifically, uh, what are the things that Just for Kids Law are able to bring that maybe other uh, legal organisations, institutions can't? What's the... Well, fundamentally, I mean, I think it is quite unique because obviously we offer legal representation um, and direct support th- as a charity um, and in a much more holistic way than other organisations that are involved with young people necessarily do. Um, but really, um, the aim is um, to work with and for young people to ensure that they're um, legal rights are respected um, and to also allow them to have a voice in that process because we found that a lot of the young people that we were representing in criminal proceedings um, and as a yacht officer as well, I found that um, a lot of people would say to young people, well, I can deal with that bit of your life, but I can't deal with that bit. Right. So... Um, you know, that bit's in my remit, that bit's not. Give us an example. Now, Give us an example. What is 
In the so, remit, what's not in the remit? Uh, for example, you would have, uh, as a lawyer, mm. essentially, um, lots of lawyers feel their role is simply to represent a child in criminal proceedings, um, uh, to get an outcome, whatever, on the case, and then to walk away at that point and, um, um, and not address any of the issues that, have a, that are clearly there. Um, as a youth offending team officer, you've got a very specific purpose to work with a young person on an order. Um, although the expectation is that you might be able to address some of the other aspects of their life, you, it's still very, you can't really provide practical support from that young person and the perspective you have to come from is quite different. So you come from a best interest perspective and um, what a young person actually thinks and feels about that situation can very much get lost in that. Um, so... Um, you know, some uh, organisations can deal specifically with a young person's housing, but they can't deal with the fact they've been excluded from school. Right. Um, they might be suffering extreme poverty, but they've got no access to hardship grants or funding. You know, it's there are so many different things that go into the. So pot. you're providing, you are really providing like this holistic approach to a young. Person. We aim to, but we're client-led, so not all of our clients want that right. holistic approach, but we, we have the ability to, at Just for Kids Law, to That's provide that. incredible. Um, wow. Because we, um, there is a clear correlation between youth offending and um, uh, you know, homelessness, looked-after children, children with um, uh, mental health issues, children with learning difficulties, and you know, children who are excluded from school. It's a massive... Um, They're all linked, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yes. Um, we aim. Lots of children come to us. Maybe you might have a young person that's excluded from school that has nothing to do with the youth justice system, but they, um, you know, that actually by dealing with that issue, then you could be preventing an issue earlier, later 100%, on. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, my clients in the youth justice system often it's quite hard to unpick everything that's going on for them. But I think that the fact that you're having a conversation mm. about addressing all of the other aspects of their life is helpful to them. So you've mentioned a few things there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, representing kids who have been excluded and you know various other things that go with that. What are, if you can answer this question, what are kind of the common issues that you get called in to to, to represent like young people and families, if there were like three or four, these are the ones which we were regularly dealing with, what type of cases and issues? Um, so regularly we were involved with children involved in criminal proceedings, um, which obviously can be a, a whole range of things. Yeah. Um, and homelessness is a big issue. School exclusion is, an, is another big issue. Yes. And looked after children. Yeah. Um, and then there are a whole host of... Um, I see a, a growing trend in my clients particularly of children who have um, learning difficulties that have been undiagnosed, right. um, who've gone through secondary education and um, they've been almost labelled as problematic children um, when in fact they should have had a diagnosis of, diagnosis of autism, uh, which is quite a significant thing. <laughs> yeah, something um, really But I've many children who've got to like 14, 15, I represent them and it's quite obvious that they um, have autism. So in that case, what do you do? So you represent someone, you realise they've got autism or ADHD or something like mm. that. Um, how do you manage something like that? Is there ways that you can, even at that late stage, 15, 16, that you can encourage for tests? And... Yeah, so as... Um, 
you can, um, so as a, as a solicitor, you have the ability, obviously, if you feel it's relevant to your case, to um, um, request a psychological assessment for a young person. Um, and that really, to be honest, for me, it's always relevant because if I'm going to be taking instructions from that young person or if they're going to be expected to engage in court proceedings, then everyone needs to know what they're facing because how can they understand what uh, what, what everyone in the room is saying to them and about them mm. if, they, if actually there are things that are getting lost in, 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 trans- in translation. translation. So yeah. um, I think it can always be justified in, when you're dealing with it in a legal yeah. case. But yeah, there is that, you can get funding, you can apply for funding for um, the ADOS, which is the autism assessment, uh, for a sort of global um, uh, psychological, psychological assessment. And also there's a huge amount of children with speech and language issues who are in the criminal justice system. Yeah. Um, so I think it, this, the statistics are startling, something like 60 to 90% wow. of children um, involved in uh, the youth justice system have actually, they're experiencing issues with communication. Wow, that, I mean, that is startling. <clears throat> um, it's interesting that you said that you've, you've had experience working with youth offending service, as mm. I have as well. Um, you, you're talking about 2000, 2001. Um, so you've been in this game for a while, if you can call it a game, and <laughs> yeah. I've also been in, in a similar field. And why that's helpful is because specifically Power to Fight is looking to empower communities to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And we do that in a few ways. One of the things is that we deliver workshops to faith groups, arts organisations, statutory, anybody who you're front-facing with this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason is because Personally, I've seen young people uh, lose their lives, but I've also seen this issue of youth violence grow. Now, whether that is statistically mm. or perception, yeah. that's another yeah. conversation. Yeah. But it'd be interesting from your perspective, Have you seen, how has this fact or perception of youth violence and knife crime, how has that impacted your work? And does that impact some of the... The case, have you seen an increase of are you guys taking on cases which have directly resulted of youth violence or knife crime or gang association? Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> so that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. um, so in terms of... Um, so, yeah, looking at my experience and my journey, actually, I think I've... Um, this issue has been a long-term issue that is currently being... Um, you know, receiving a lot of uh, media, like unhelpful media hype, mm. I would say. Um, and it's creating a moral sort of panic in the court system, which is um, having an impact on the way that um, the courts choose to deal with young people. Yes. Um, so, um, and also, uh, so for schools, for example... Um, I think are behaving differently because of this. So schools are much more likely to um, deal with things by involving the police um, because they are um, uh, because they're, they're fearful that they'll be criticised later on if they don't. So I think that the sort of moral panic and media hype around youth violence um, has created a situation where children are more likely to be criminalised when they were than they were previously. Yes. Um, and when I say criminalised, I mean, you know, children essentially being dealt with through the criminal justice system. I'm not saying that there aren't 
um, issues that need to be dealt with there, but it's about the way that we deal with them and right. whether we want to have a whole generation of children who have criminal records, which yeah, is um, really counterproductive. Um, so, but for me, the issues children have, uh, you know, young people have carried weapons because they uh, feel unsafe for a long time. Um, and uh, I think that um, obviously there are lots of, you know, it's such a massive, complicated issue. Um, the, particularly children we're working with now who are 14, 15, 16, um, essentially they've been living in austerity for 10 years. So um, essentially all of their formative yeah. years they've been living in austerity. So I think that there is, there's an issue yeah. around, around that. Yes. Because this whole, essentially we've got a generation now of young people who are, um, who've been experiencing extreme poverty in a time where, um, of significant cuts. Mm. So, you know, you'll be well aware of all of the cuts in youth services. Yes. Um, I was interviewed a few weeks ago about cuts to youth offending teams. And, you know, I can't believe I was having to be interviewed about cuts to youth offending yeah. teams at a time where, um, yeah. uh, where, you know, the conversation around youth violence is, is, um, yeah. is so prevalent. So, yeah. um, I think that that's a factor. There are a group of young people who are, who feel quite hopeless, um, and uh, you know that that is a concern. But when people talk to me about, um, so what are you doing? What's just for kids doing about this? The you know knife crime, and I my response is always, well, what we're doing is um, we're fighting knife crime one child at a time, because I think it's easy to get bought into this um, kind of moral. Panic, yes. um, and so when I'm representing children in court, I mean, I um, represented a girl in the police station who um, had taken a craft knife into school to um, uh, carve soap. Right. And she had been told by the teacher, "Bring a tool into school um, to carve soap." Yes. And um, I, the teacher had specifically said a spoon or something. She'd brought a craft knife in because she does a lot of craft at home. Um, because of this whole um, frenzy yeah. around knife crime, um, uh, her school felt they were obliged to report that to the police because she had a craft knife in her bag two days after having design and technology when she carved the soap. Um, and I was dealing with a 14-year-old girl in a police interview um, who'd never come to the attention of the police before um, and having to talk her through what she felt was clearly a really extremely intimidating process. Wow. Um, I mean, it's mind-boggling and it's frustrating. But similarly, because I'm, I'm also a pastor at a church, okay. and one of the things I, I try to do is also educate faith groups because mm. similar to schools, a lot of them have youth groups. Mm -hmm. Some of the conversations I have with with pastors, a young person brings a knife yeah. into a youth group. Right. And some of the way, way they've handled that, yeah. um, there's just not enough education out there. Yeah. So, so just for, and whether this is a clear answer or not, let's take a school or just take those two institutions, youth group on a Friday night at a, in a church or faith group and a school. Kid brings a knife in. Is it 
like legally, does that institution have to go to the police to to say this kid has brought a knife in, or is it discretion? Um, yeah, well, I obviously it's hard for me to say yeah. from the perspective that I'm coming sure. from. I think that there would be a whole host of. Um, you know, obviously each um, organisation is going to have their own safeguarding policies and concerns. But I think that um, what people need to understand is um, looking behind that. So why has it happened? Yeah. Um, and what the... I don't, I, I don't think there's anything that's suggesting that people must report those incidents to the police. Yeah. But I think that you can take a common sense approach Definitely. based on what um, conversations you're having with young people around that. Mm. And um, for me personally, it would be much more um, productive to speak to that young person about why that's happened, uh, or speak to the people that in his life in terms of supporting him, whether that be parents or any other individual. You do see a lot of panic, because yeah. I've seen it in school. I've yeah. seen, I've, I, you know, I get phone calls from sometimes teachers or pastors or other people saying, no, no, this kid's brought in a knife. And we, we, the first thing we did was call the police. I'm like, did you talk? Yeah. Like you said, have you spoken to the young person? Have you... Because I think people put it all in kind of this one category. You've carried a knife and therefore the intention is yeah. to... Yeah, and that's harm. the problem. Um, because uh, actually... Um, just by the, the very makeup of the adolescent brain, yeah. they don't necessarily think that far ahead. No, no. Um, and so um, consequential thinking, you'll know from working at the youth mm -hmm. offending team, is a big thing that you yes. have to work on with young people because they don't, um, they don't inherently have it at that point in their life. Yeah. Their brain does develop yeah. um, and gets them to that point eventually. And some children obviously get that that earlier than others but um it, it's a specific actually many many young people just simply say well i'm carrying it for my protection um and if i um if someone knows that i have it if i show it to them then the whole situation will stop and that's that's the misconception yeah. and it's education around that and it's actually you know beyond that um, it's actually taking young people out of situations where they feel unsafe. Yeah. Um, and that's really we need, where we need to focus our attention. Yeah. I mean, just shifting slightly, one, one of the things I noticed in my years of working with young people and families, particularly, unfortunately, where there has been a murder, and then it's a case of some of the young people who have witnessed this stuff... And we all know there's this wall of silence in particular mm. communities when engaging with uh, the police around, uh, unfortunately, youth violence, knife crime, or some, most things, really. One of the things which I always get is uh, if the police are trying to engage with young people, what the young people will then start talking about is witness protection. Or, mm. and, and there's so much confusion um, sometimes, if I'm honest, sometimes I get it from the police as well. So, like, are you basically, when you say witness protection to a young person, yeah. what does that yeah, actually yeah, yeah. mean? Because yeah. it doesn't always mean. It, often it doesn't mean the full suite of. <laughs> yeah. um, You're going to give me yeah, your identity. Yeah, identity and a place to live, yeah. and often it doesn't mean that. So, could you just yeah. give us a little? Because I know if some people watching this will be. You know, my prayer is that nobody mm. gets involved in this, but so many times I see it and there's this confusion. What 
does witness protection mean and what doesn't it mean? I, mean, I suppose there's levels to this. And... To be honest, I, w- I wouldn't be no. the expert on that. Okay. Or from, from my experience with um, children who have been witnesses of crime, there are certain, there are different levels of support they'll be given. Sure. Um, and sometimes they won't be given that support. Yeah. So um, whenever um, I'm being asked for my opinion or advice um, in relation to a young person that has witnessed a serious incident... Mm. Um, you know, it's quite hard sure. to to say whether they're going to be given that support. Yeah. So it could be anything from um, panic buttons being installed in somebody's right. home um, to them being moved out of the area. Um, very rarely have I seen people uh, be given... Oh, I've never known anyone to be yeah, given a, yeah, a new yeah. identity. Sure. So... Um, but often it's more, yeah, they may be moved out of their, out of their, their local area. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I could not no. comment on what... And, and I think that, to be honest, in order to be afforded the highest level of witness protection, no. that's going to depend on the kind of case that it is. No, definitely. And, um, uh, and the risk. So one of the things you said earlier on, which is quite frightening for me, is how... The moral panic around youth violence and knife crime is beginning to influence maybe decisions made in the criminal justice system, um, which really is a bit concerning. That maybe not all cases are viewed as individual, but are kind of like, well, because of this moral panic over here, we we have to act. Um, how much? I mean, I don't even know how this works, but how much education? Um, maybe between you or other organisations and conversations and dialogue Mm. do you have of actually those who are uh, suggesting these sentences and stuff do you you ever get an opportunity to say look there is reality in this perception and do you ever get that type of yeah when I if I go to court and I'm representing a child charged with possession of a knife then I think um, I will um, set out the duties of the court in terms of Sentencing that young people, that, that young person. So we have um, uh, the sentencing guidelines. There are specific sentencing guidelines for children, and they are actually really good. Mm. Um, those guidelines tell um, uh, magistrates and judges that they should be looking at rehabilitation, um, that they should be um, looking at uh, addressing sort of the causal links between that young person's personal circumstances and offending. Um, and um, they talk about the prevalence of children with mental health issues in custody, the prevalence of children from black and ethnic minority backgrounds in custody, and they tell the courts to weigh all these things up before they they send a child to custody. And also, um, they tell the court that custody has to be a last resort, so they have to feel that um, there is such a risk to the public um, and that all options have essentially been exhausted with that young person before they send them to custody. Right. So I think it's about, really, it's for lawyers and youth offending teams and anyone who has a voice in that court to tell that story and remind magistrates and remind judges, and that's what I do. And I, that, uh, and as a result, I've had a positive response. Um, but I think, you know, that's the role that we have in it. It's quite difficult. You can't stop people reading the newspapers. No. You can't stop people... <laughs> Um, you know, and obviously they're weighing up every time. Well, 
know. But, and, uh, and that's true, but I think it's, it's frustrating because, you know, you hear this public health yeah. model, so um, it's a privilege for me to sit on Sadiq Khan's violent reduction yeah. like, reference group just to talk about how this public health model can kind of be played out in yeah. London yeah. in particular. But, you know, having lawyers and judges in the conversation, yeah. something which I don't see. Right, yeah, well, it, we certainly need to be now, in it. Yeah. As I'm talking, I'm like, that's yeah. odd, actually. Yeah, because it doesn't... Um, that's quite right. There's a lot of talk, talk around this public health approach, but how is it actually going to happen in, in practicality? We know <laughs> yeah. that it works from the experiences, you know, where it has mm. been um, fully, fully put in place and tested. But, um, yeah, we're not currently in the conversation. And I think that's bizarre. To be, and that's, yeah. to be honest, that's just dawned to me. I'm just like, yeah. the way you're talking, you, if we, you know, there's a whole conversation about the disproportionality of particular groups in uh, the criminal justice system. But if you are going to try and break those systems, to have those people who are part of those systems around the conversation, because I realise the more we do power talk and we hear different perspectives, mm. it's like that, this crossover never tends to happen. And what's your view on this and what's your opinion and where you're getting your influences? So yeah. it feels very odd that you guys are not around the table. Um, we're coming in as we like to say, coming into land a little bit. But you guys also deliver workshops as well and training. As well. What's, do you want to just talk a little bit about the type of stuff you do? Because, you know, from what I picked up, it just looks incredible. But what type of stuff are you... And who are, and who are you training as well? Cause um, so we do um, lots of different, different things. So we'll do um, uh, sort of community-based uh, training. So... Um, uh, we'll do specific workshops with um, parents and young people who are affected by school exclusion, for example. And is that just to kind of give people an, to know their rights? And, yeah, and... yeah. So very much uh, we're you know rights based in right. the way that we work. So we will we like to educate and inform people about their rights, and then um, for young people, give them um, access to advocacy so that we can actually assist in them having their voice heard in those conversations. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, we will talk to community groups about stop and search and yeah. uh, things that are affecting people on the ground. Um, but we also um, deliver training to youth offending teams, um, mm. uh, I mean, solicitors. Stop and search as well. Right? Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. Recently, there was a, uh, a stop and search, what was on social media of a, a young boy in handcuffs and... Obviously, we don't know what happened before, we don't know what happened after, but it, it mm. looked like the police officer in question was using undue, undue force, at least from the clip I saw, and I'll be very careful what I say. But it's that kind of thing which, even if that wasn't involving you, it escalates and grows. So when you start talking to young people, specifically around stop and search, and the, what are my rights, and all those questions which you feel there should be an easy answer to, so much confusion. Yeah, and I think that um, it's about um, and what you don't want because sometimes when young people start exercising their rights, then it then the situation escalates. Yeah, um, nobody wants wanna, a cocky kid. Yeah, they, really? you don't want to put young people in a situation right. because you're not there with them. They can't just pull a lawyer out of their back pocket. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so I think um, it's important for young people to understand their rights, but also to give them practical 
support yeah. as to how they actually have that conversation. Yeah, that's that's a really... And it's good, and I'm sorry I cut you, you were talking about that you also train solicitors and you defend the service things. Yeah, that, so. so we're very much, we believe that all of the um, people working with young people should be specialists. Yes. Um, so we, we, have, um, we do a lot of work around um, trying to educate the profession to be youth specialists. Yes. And um, in family cases, you have children's panels of lawyers who aren't able to represent children unless they've they're on the children's panel, have gone through a training. Right. That's not the same in terms of criminal solicitors. Okay. And that's something that, we're de- that we really want to work towards because we think that the level of knowledge that mm. you can have if you're a youth specialist, the way you can use that for the benefit of young people yeah. and the way that you can have conversations with young people yeah. um, requires you to be a youth specialist in that situation. It's so helpful. I mean, um, my brain is ticking and there's so <laughs> many things which I'll probably talk to you off camera about because like, I feel there's so much crossover that we could hopefully do together um, mm. both at organisations. But I just want to thank you for your time and your expertise. I've just learned a lot. Is there anything which, you know, if there's any final thoughts or anything you feel, you feel like you'd want to say, we, the people who will be viewing this will be statutory organisations, professionals, be faith groups, be young people, arts organisations, all the type of people we're trying to bring together. I don't know if there's anything you feel you've missed or anything burning you'd want to close with. <laughs> too many, yeah. too many things, too many things. Um, I suppose for statutory organisations, I'd say that, you know, we need to look at, look at all of the issues that are for one particularly young person in order to actually really make a change. Um, mm. For um, parents, I would say uh, seek legal advice. Um, Often parents think, um, oh, if I involve a lawyer, then it makes my child look guilty or it makes it Mm. seem like I'm not cooperating or, um, you know, I think seek legal advice would be my um, um, advice to parents. Does it have to... I mean, even on that, I suppose maybe... Expense tends to be one of the barriers yeah, for some people, or at least the perception. Well, obviously, we're a charity. Yeah, so. which, is, which is great. Um, and you're but, on our website as well as one of the charities, I would say, to go to around yeah. legal support. Um, but also, children, if, children involved in criminal proceedings are entitled to legal aid, right. per se. Yes. Uh, that's at the police station. Everyone at the police station is entitled to free legal representation, in mm. fact. Um, which is a bit of a misconception. That uh, is a massive misconception. And you can request your own lawyer, which again is a misconception. Everyone thinks only the duty list is free. But, um, really? Um, I didn't, oh, I'm absolutely that. But, okay. uh, in, the court, in court proceedings, children are automatically entitled to legal aid. So helpful. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, like I said, hopefully we can do some work together. But um, I've learned a lot. Just really appreciate it. So thank you so much. Thank you.